Hello, soulmates. We have plenty to discuss on this Monday. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm the Cordelide Corte. Courtney Hicks has the day off. Topping off our news today, Talaji Campbell is demanding answers and accountability from Colorado Springs Authority, accusing them of failing to promptly respond to her 911 call about a suspected hostage situation that resulted in her husband's death. Talaji Campbell is demanding answers and accountability from Colorado Springs authorities, accusing them of failing to promptly respond to her 911 call about a suspected hostage situation that resulted in her husband's death. Well, look, I get that police officers may be overwhelmed responding to emergencies, but remember, they're trained to do so. You know, every time there's something going on in communities involving police officers and holding them accountable, folks are really quick to say, mm, maybe they need more training. Well, it seems to me that Colorado Springs Police Department may have had training, but it uh, didn't result in them uh, uh, responding to this emergency situation the way that they should have. You know, uh, the wife shouldn't have been the first person on the scene to discover her husband slumped over um, after having been, been shot. And so the Colorado Springs Police Department uh, in El Paso County, uh, as their attorney says, can make all the excuses they want. Uh, that's probably a sign that they need to tweak that training that uh, everybody's always talking about. But moving along, a Florida judge has granted Susan Louise Lorenz, the suspect in the fatal shooting of her neighbor, Ajike A.J. Owens, a $154,000 bond. The 58-year-old appeared in court and entered a plea of not guilty to multiple charges, including manslaughter with a firearm. Judge Robert Hodges ordered Lorenz to wear an ankle monitor and stay away from Owens' family. Owens' loved ones pres present in the courtroom expressed their desire for a more severe charge. According to an arrest report, Lorenz admitted to using racial slurs towards Owens' children before shooting him and shooting them in the chest during their encounter on June 2nd. Now, how does having her ankle monitor achieve justice? Think about it. I know I've thought about it. This is what's been running through my head since uh, I read up on this story. How does a judge expect those kids to be able to sleep at night? let alone those neighbors. I mean, would you feel comfortable walking through the neighborhood knowing that uh, your neighbor who shot another neighbor through the, through the door is comfortably back at home? The only new accessory is an ankle monitor. I thought it was quite odd. You know, uh, as a part of the uh, Akala residence bond uh, to wear this, this ankle monitor, uh, you know, she is... Uh, just going to go through the motions, go through the motions, you know, of a, a trial for manslaughter, not even first degree murder. And so there's so much about this case already that is a little bit peculiar. And we've got to ask ourselves the question that if the perpetrator, if the alleged perpetrator was black, would they be able to go home on bond? $154,000 bond at that with an ankle monitor? Mm-hmm. Moving along, New Haven, Connecticut has reached a $45 million settlement with Randy Cox, who was left paralyzed after being transported in a police van without a seatbelt. The settlement follows the firing of two officers involved in the incident. 
Cox, who had been arrested on later dismissed charges, suffered a spinal injury when the van abruptly braked. Surveillance footage showed officers mocking Cox and doubting the seriousness of his injuries. The settlement, the largest ever in a police misconduct case, aims to provide Cox with necessary medical and future support. The NAACP of Louisiana has issued warning to black and LGBTQ individuals urging caution when visiting the state. Proposed legislation targeting their rights has created a dangerous environment. This is according to the organization. Uh, the state NAACP has requested a travel warning from the national NAACP, similar to the advisory for Florida. The letter highlights bills concerning gender-affirming care, the incarceration of 17-year-olds, and bans on discussing sexual identity in schools. You know, um, this one hits home because this is yet another example of the effort afoot across this country to make America Florida, and not even the good parts of Florida. I mean. Disney World is great, and it's always a good time in Miami. I mean, you know, my mom was born and raised in the Tampa Bay area. My grandparents are buried in Florida. My grandfather's roots run deep in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, but what is afoot right now across the country is an effort to take some of the ugliness happening in Florida and spread that around the country. And so far, uh, the folks in Louisiana have resisted. Uh, Louisiana has not passed any anti-LGBTQ laws in comparison to other conservative states, but this recent uptick in bills that zeroed in on LGBTQ rights has been a cause for concern for civil rights groups and it's a cause for concerns for anybody that has roots in Louisiana, of which I'm sure a lot of our soulmates uh, have roots in Louisiana. And so it's important that we keep our eye on states like Louisiana and states across the country uh, if uh, we are to resist making America look and feel and be as chaotic as what we have been reporting on in states like Florida. Moving along, DC Youngfly reflected on the regal send-off for Ms. Jackie O held at Jackson Memorial Baptist Church in Atlanta. I want our kids to understand that you had a beautiful soul and you didn't leave us, you in heaven. Your spirit is with us. You're still here, and we got an amazing support system. We got a beautiful support system. Because they came out. We love you. What a moving tribute. The comedian received an outpouring of well wishes for his strength while eulogizing his partner of six years. Instead of tearful grieving, DC leaned on his faith and honored Jackie's, quotes, beautiful soul and motherhood after the service. Uh, after the service, he posted a video montage of family photos, doves, and a horse-drawn carriage. In his speech, D.C. expressed his reliance on prayer and strength for his children. Jackie leaves behind daughters Nova, Nala, and son Prince Nahime. WNBA star Brittany Griner faced a confrontational incident at the airport when political agitator Alex Stein heckled her about a prisoner swap trade. The incident raised concerns about player safety. Stein approached Griner with provocative questions following her and her team to the gate despite security efforts. The incident underscores the need for improved safety measures, including chartered flights for WNBA players. 
the league and the Phoenix Mercury are reviewing the incident, emphasizing player safety and advocating against hate. Now, some people will do absolutely anything for attention, including insulting an American hero like Brittany Griner. Uh, I won't mention some of the very provocative questions that Stein asked Griner that were completely out of line and intended to dehumanize her. Uh, but uh, as is mentioned in the story, players have spoken out in the past about just the toll of flying commercial uh, and how that, that affects their overall well-being. Um, you know, it is crazy to me, you know, that, uh, you know, they're having to walk through airports and have to endure hecklers like this. I'm not sure if uh, NBA players uh, have to endure uh, the same, uh, but this is definitely a low point uh, for, you know, folks out there that uh, intend to politicize uh, Brittany Griner's release uh, any more than it already has been. Moving along, Buffalo Bills player Damar Hamlin is embarking on a multi-city tour called the Chasing M's Foundation CPR Tour. This tour provides free CPR training and raises awareness about the importance of automated external defibrillators. Yeah, AEDs. The first stop at the Bills Stadium trained over a thousand people and distributed medical equipment. Hamlin's personal experience with cardiac arrest motivates him to promote life, life-saving care in communities and on the field. The tour will visit other cities, including Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, where Hamlin suffered cardiac arrest during a televised football game. You know, look, Hamlin is a walking, talking miracle, and we love to see it here. We love to see how he's using his platform to draw more attention to AEDs, automated external defibrillators. He said, quotes, growing up playing sports, I never really remember ever thinking about where an AED was or ever thinking about CPR training. I don't ever remember a coach or a parent ever knowing where an AED was in the gym or stadium or anywhere for that matter. When I read that, that DeMar Hamlin said that, I started to think about you know, my years playing sports way, way, way back in the day. Uh, and I too, you know, wouldn't be able to tell you where an AED was or how to use one. And so it's good to see that he is taking the life-saving measures that have made a difference in his life. He is uh, taking them to the masses and making sure that we all know not just where they are, but how to use them in case we need to. And so for that, we salute you, Damar Hamlin. Coming up, actor and comedian Marlon Wayne cited for disturbing the peace. We'll tell you why airport officials say he was behaving badly. You're watching Fox Hole's Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, a coalition of businesses and foundations have reached its $1 billion fundraising goal for minority and community lenders. Senators Mark Warner and Mike Crapo, co-chairs of the Community Development Finance Caucus, 
joined Treasury Deputy Secretary Wally Ademimo to announce the milestone. The funds will support minority-owned rural and small businesses recovering from the pandemic. The initiative aims to increase lending in underserved communities and showcase bipartisan collaboration in Congress. Representatives from community development financial institutions, also known as CDFIs, and minority depository institutions, also known as MDIs, will also be present at the announcement. This is good news, soulmates. I mean, I think our Deputy Secretary of the Treasury, a brother, Wally Adeimo, um, said, quote, our economy works better when capital is unlocked across races and regions. CDFIs and MDIs, they play a really important role in terms of loosening up access to credit, the access to credit that we need to power our small businesses. This stuff matters. Uh, and this is happening uh, thanks to the Economic Opportunity Coalition, which includes groups like Wells Fargo, McKinsey, MasterCard, City, and others. Uh, and it will give fin funding to what are known as CDFIs and MDAIs, as we've mentioned. Essentially, they're banks that focus on investments, most exclusively in local communities. And so these companies have answered a call to action from uh, Vice President Harris and the Secretary of the Treasury to catalyze and align public and private investment to address disparities. Access to capital. You know, this is the thing that a lot of black-owned businesses talk about all the time. It, it makes a difference between whether or not you're going to remain a sole proprietorship or you're going to scale your business and be able to hire employees, be able to grow your business, open uh, a second location. And so uh, CDFIs and MDIs, incredibly important. Uh, and so it's good to see that access to capital happening at a critical time. Uh, for our nation as our economy, you know, is still, mm, looks like it's recovering from the pandemic uh, in a lot of ways, although there are other indicators that say we're doing just fine. But unemployment benefit applications in the U.S., make no, no mistake about it, have recently seen a spike. This is according to this is according to the Associated Press, the U.S. Department of Labor reported that on June 3rd, 2023, the number of jobless applicants reached $261,000, the highest since October 2021. This sparked an increase of 28,000 compared to the previous week, which ended on May 27th, 2023. Now, the unemployment rate also rose from 3.4% in April to 3.7%. Uh, economists believe that the Memorial Day weekend may have influenced these numbers and they are waiting for the next week's reading before drawing conclusions. Additionally, U.S. employers added almost 340,000 jobs in May 2023, indicating growth in hiring. Now, I am not a financial expert. And so, you know, go talk to your financial expert for more information. But as far as my household goes, um, I just think it's really important uh, for folks to understand that the economy seems to still be resetting following the pandemic. And while there are leading economic indicators uh, that indicate that, you know, our economy is strong, we're doing well, 
There are other indicators that may contradict that depending on where you live, depending on what industry that you might be in. And so, you know, I think we've just got to remain prepared for anything. Uh, the Federal Reserve raised its benchmark lending rate in May 2023, and economists think that they're going to uh, pause on rate hikes uh, for next week. Um, but, you know, we're seeing both unemployment and hiring have increased. Well, depending on where you're employed, that may be uh, encouraging news or discouraging news. And so I want to encourage all of our soulmates out there to just be prepared for anything because, you know, you never know what might happen. We've reported time and time again on a number of layoffs uh, that have happened, particularly in the tech industry. We know that uh, right now there's a writer strike happening in Hollywood and that uh, the uh, SAG after union has voted uh, to go on strike as well. And so those are real people, you know, and it's going to affect real people and, and, and their jobs. And so, uh, so be vigilant out there, you know, and, uh, and be prepared for anything. That's in the world according to the Cordelai. Just saying. Well, Meta confirms plans to explore building a new standalone platform for sharing text updates as it aims to challenge Twitter's dominance under Elon Musk. The company believes that there is an opportunity for creators and public figures to share timely updates about their interests in a separate space. The platform, which is decentralized, would allow users to create uh, different servers or communities with their own rules. The P92 initiative, under the direction of Instagram CEO Adam Mosseri, is still in its early stages. Now, Meta's new platform could, could potentially offer users experiences beyond what Meta itself develops by allowing third parties to build apps and features into the platform. Now, I thought this was this was pretty cool. And I, I, I see how there are a number of former Twitter employees that are out there uh, developing platforms that rival Twitter. I'm thinking about the co-founders of Spill. That's a new social platform that's getting up and running. Uh, there's also platforms out there like Blue Sky. And I've had a chance to sort of tinker with them a little bit. And who knows where it's going to go? Who knows what alternative or alternatives to Twitter are really going to stick um, amongst uh, users of black Twitter and just folks in the public square. But you can't dispute Facebook has a little bit of an advantage. Uh, their existing large user base, uh, I'm talking about 2 billion people. Yeah, that's 2 billion people with a B that utilize Facebook on a daily basis. And so while there are plenty of other platforms that are trying to stand up, the fact that Meta is entering into this space to create an alternative to Twitter, uh, they walk in with a huge advantage. The question is, what are they going to do with it? You know, and whether or not uh, those two billion daily Facebook users, you know, are going to migrate over to whatever platform they create. And so you better believe we're going to keep our eye on it. Moving along, Marlon Wayans demands that United Airlines reimburse him, issue a public apology and provide an explanation after being kicked off a flight. The incident occurred when a gate agent claimed that Wayans had too many carry-on bags and instructed him to consolidate them. Wayans complied but was then told to check the luggage. Frustrated, he boarded the plane leading to police involvement and a citation. What? 
Wayans, who had previously been a loyal United Airlines customer, expressed his disappointment and announced his decision to no longer fly with the company. Now, despite the incident, he will continue with his scheduled comedy tour. Now, listen, I fly a lot. Y'all know that I fly a lot. And when I read this story, I felt a few flashbacks. And, and you know, uh, Wayans said that the encounter with the airline employee whom he accused of exercising, quotes, an abuse of inflated power. This was what he said in a tweet. Uh, I certainly have experienced that. And chances are you, our soulmates, have probably experienced that too. The reality is, airline workers, you need to cool it a little bit. You know, it's already enough traveling, you know, from airport to airport. If you got to get on a connecting flight, you know, you land at one gate, you got to run over to another terminal, to another gate. Sometimes traveling feels like the Hunger Games. <laughs> and, you know, that cre creates a lot of anxiety for folks. Um, and people are just trying to get to where they need to get to. And I get that airline workers are also under stress. They're also dealing with a lot. There's fewer airline workers today uh, than there was likely pre-pandemic. But still, that's no excuse to flex your power at the gate. And you know who you are, gate agents out there making our lives more difficult than they need to be. Stop it. Stop it. You know, we, 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 we deserve better. We deserve better in, in part because we're paying a whole lot more for our flights than we were pre-pandemic. And so, you know, we're all in this together uh, and uh, we certainly identify with uh, Marlon's pain at the gate. And so, you know, United, apologize to this man and make it right. Uh, and soulmates, be on the lookout for those gate agents that are, are acting rogue. Uh, be sure to use your, your airline app and, and report them because, you know, we deserve better, just saying. Up next, Juneteenth is just around the corner and the White House is celebrating in a major way. We'll tell you the star-studded lineup that's expected at this year's event in D.C. When we come back, you're watching Foxhole's Black Report. President Joe Biden has announced that the White House will host a Juneteenth concert in celebration of Black Music Month. Yeah, the concert will take place on the South Lawn of the White House tomorrow, June 13th, marking the 158th anniversary of the end of slavery in America. The list of performers of the celebration include Audra McDonald, Broadway inspirational voices Cliff, uh, 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 Cliff Method Man Smith, uh, the Fisk Jubilee Singers, Hampton University Concert Choir, Jennifer Hudson, all right, Jennifer, Let Us See, Maverick City Music, the Morgan State University Marching Band, and that's just to name a few, y'all. Yeah, Biden stated uh, that, quotes, spirituals, gospel, the blues, R&B, rock and roll, jazz, pop, rap, hip hop, and more have molded American culture and given rise to new American art forms emulated around the globe. And uh, as the saints say, he ain't lying, he ain't lying. Um, you know, this is the best connect the dots that I have seen between Black Music Month and Juneteenth. I've never seen a White House, you know, connect the dots for an event quite like this. 
in the proclamation, they said, quotes, music of black music, much of black music is rooted in African rhythms, coupled with the experience of slavery and struggle in America, barred from expressing themselves in their native tongues, enslaved people, developing a language to articulate their hopes and dreams, their sense of loss and tenacity, overcoming the harrowing nature of their lives. That, is, that was language from the proclamation issued by the President of the United States. Uh, and so uh, as we near the, uh, the Juneteenth national holiday, it's good to see this White House uh, using the power of the President's bully pulpit uh, to shine a light you know, on our history, uh, whereas you know, others seek to bury that history. You have the White House shining a light on this. And I'm looking forward uh, to uh, uh, you know, being in attendance you know, at this Juneteenth celebration, covering this Juneteenth celebration. And so uh, we'll be sure to sort of bring back some highlights uh, of that a little bit later this week. But uh, wherever you are, I hope you're making plans for Juneteenth. Uh, and let me just add this also. You know, there are folks out there, we can believe it, uh, that uh, don't believe we should be celebrating Juneteenth as a national holiday. There are folks out there that seek to bury uh, black history and ban books and all of that. And what's so interesting to me is a lot of those same people are actually going to be taking the day off on Juneteenth. And so mm, if, do you really feel that strongly? Because uh, uh, it doesn't seem that you do if you're also taking the day off. And so I encourage those folks who are faking the funk, take the day off and actually learn something. Go be in community with some folks that uh, maybe uh, you're not typically in community with. Just saying. Um, speaking of Juneteenth, it's now a state holiday in Nevada. The state has joined a growing number of states, including Texas, New York, Virginia, and Washington, that honor the day when the last enslaved people in the United States learned that they were free. Republican Governor Joe Lombardo signed the bill into law late last week, elevating the June 19th holiday from a day of observance to a state holiday, meaning that many state employees can take the day off. It now joins holidays including New Year's Day, Veterans Day, July 4th, Labor Day, Nevada Day, and Christmas Day. Yeah, again, I just want to say, if you don't like it, or if you've enlisted in the war on woke, I simply challenge you to, to go to work. If you bad, go to work on Juneteenth. But if you want to learn something, participate in some of the local Juneteenth activities happening in a community near you. You know, this is a tremendous opportunity for us to, to deepen our learning and our level of immersion in terms of the, the history that allowed, you know, for enslaved people in this country to learn that they were free a couple years after they were made free. Uh, and so I challenge folks out there uh, to lean into this. Don't just make it a typical day off, but find a way to make this, you know, a national day of learning. We all have these, uh, these devices where we can hop on social media and, and, and post whatever we want to our followers. Let's make this a national day of learning. Just, when, just, just a, a, a little bit of perspective in the world according to Nicordelai. Just saying. All right. Have you heard of Olivia Watkins and Karen Washington. Well, these two women 
are the first African-Americans to receive Humanitarian of the Year at this year's prestigious James Beard Awards, referred to by many as the Oscars of the food world. Yeah, Watkins and Washington are the co-founders of Black Farmer Fund, which provides access to capital that is otherwise hard to obtain for black farmers. To date, the fund has raised over a million dollars for black farmers in America's northeastern region. Now, according to its website, Black Farmers Fund was formed out of a series of conversations among black farmers in the Northeast who were seeking capital that they did not uh, rep that they that was not available to them due to discriminatory and predatory lending practices that have been driving black farmers and land stewards off their land for over a century. This year, 25 people of color were among the 30 winners, and we love, 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 love to see it. Um, you know, this is this is important. You know, I always like to say that I think the people that are closest to the problem can also be closest to the solution. And what I love so much about this story about black farmers is that there were conversations that were had by the people that were impacted. You didn't have folks just conduct some old, you know, research report and decide this is what they needed. Uh, there are folks that actually engage them in being a part of the solution. Now, this is Community Organizing 101, and so for a lot of our soulmates out there that are organizing, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but for folks that are less familiar, you know, this kind of civic engagement can really make a difference, and it's also good to see the James Beard Award, you know, really sort of stepping up and acknowledging the contributions of black folks uh, and other people of color uh, by way of this humanitarian award. And so. Uh, kudos to them and to everybody out there that's doing the heavy lifting to support our black farmers. In Grand Prairie, Texas, local barbers are working to address critical gaps in care for people with diabetes. And it's the Fade Out Diabetes Program, get it? That looks to address those concerns. Our friends at Fox 4 have the story. Snips here and razors there. Yet it's not all about looking fresh on the way out. It wasn't difficult at all. Um, small little prick, you don't really feel it. Barbershop owner Tyreek Jackson is sounding the alarm on type 2 diabetes, and it's nothing to play with. That's why local barbers are working with the Fade Out Diabetes Program to address gaps in critical care. I think it's important for our community to go get tested for diabetes because of um, family habits, eating habits, um, little things that may have been uh, passed on from generation to generation and um, it could affect us and if we're not getting tested we don't know our levels. If we don't know our levels then we can't be uh, in front of it to help get this and eradicate it from our system and break the chain in our family. Dr. Maria Esparza shares modern medical advances can help decrease the use of insulin if your pancreas doesn't work as it should, providing energy for the body. We're going to talk about different strategies and I think that's why it's also really important to talk about diabetes early because we have exciting new medications. Black and Hispanic adults are twice as likely to develop the condition as white adults. And Jackson, well, he says it's crucial to stay proactive. Well, I think it's important for us to be ahead of the curve and get tested early so that that way we don't have to worry about dealing with it long term. Ahead of the curve, that's why the Art of Barbering shop located in Grand Prairie stepped up to hold the event supporting those who are wary of walking into a doctor's office in the first place. So there is a hesitancy, fear uh, to go to the doctor sometimes in the community, but there's also a lot of 
inequalities and disparities that make it harder. Um, the, the population has a lower percentage of being medically insured. The aim, jumping over those barriers that includes the distrust between the public and the healthcare system. Instead, today's focus is specifically geared towards men who have a safe space to discuss both medicine with other men they trust. That is terrific work. That is important work. That's work that needs to continue. I know uh, if your families are anything like my family, you know, you have family members that, that have the sugar. You have family members that have diabetes. And uh, sometimes we witness the complications that can arise when members of our family have diabetes. And so we've got to do everything we can, you know, to eat well, to exercise, uh, and do everything we can to manage whatever conditions that we need to uh, so that, uh, uh, you know, we don't uh, succumb to uh, some of the complications that uh, often happen related to diabetes. Um, you know, I really love that these conversations are happening in barbershops, you know, and that brothers feel comfortable, uh, you know, getting that education and sharing those personal stories, uh, you know, and let me just say this. Uh, this Thursday, I'm going to be uh, moderating a conversation organized by the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids that goes beyond the barbershop. Uh, we're going to be talking to black men about black men's health and some of the things that, that keep us from the longevity that we deserve. And so uh, if you're in Washington, D.C., you can go to the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids website and register um, to be there in person or to watch online. We got to keep this conversation going because, as I've often said, longevity is a justice issue, whether we're talking about young people who are struggling with issues related to childhood obesity and help in maintaining a healthy weight uh, to older adults, you know, who may be struggling, uh, you know, with other chronic health conditions uh, that lead to compounded cardiovascular health related issues. And so let's do everything we can this summer and every day to stay as healthy as we can, you know, and uh, so hat tip to all the brothers across the country, uh, all the barbers and brothers, I should say, across the country that are doing their part. Still ahead, there are major updates for Jamie Foxx and his health. We'll tell you what he's now learning to do and when he's expected to make a return. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, actor Jamie Foxx is continuing his recovery following his health emergency over a month ago. There are new reports that Fox is reportedly learning to walk again while his camp is addressing COVID rumors. Representatives of the actor say his hospitalization was not, not caused by the vaccine. The rumor was first reported by an independent journalist who claimed that a booster shot left Fox partially blind and paralyzed. We learned back in April that Fox had been hospitalized for an undisclosed condition. He has since been discharged from the hospital and spent time at a rehabilitation facility in Chicago. Now, soulmates, come on in here. Let's have a conversation about this. Can we stop peddling in conspiracy theories and let him heal, let Jamie Foxx heal in peace? You know, when he's ready to share his story, if he decides to share his story, we'll know. 
you know, but you know, for all of us that are, that are posting and retweeting and reposting information that's false, let's stop doing that. You know, it's pulling focus from where he and his family should have their attention, which is his healing path. Uh, it's no secret that the false claims and misleading information that plagues the internet have somehow linked Jamie Foxx to COVID vaccine conspiracy theories. His family has said not true. So let's leave that alone, please. Let's stop giving conspiracy theories oxygen uh, to just grow and, and spread like wildfire across our communities. Uh, and uh, while we're talking about Jamie Foxx, we just wanna remind Foxx to get well soon. Uh, and whatever it is, uh, that you're overcoming, you know, we and so many of our soulmates are praying that you indeed overcome that. Moving along, the mother of Migos rapper Takeoff is seeking justice seven months after her son was shot and killed at a Houston venue. The lawsuit filed by Titiana Davenport alleges that the owner of 810 Billards and Bowling failed to provide adequate security on the night of Takeoff's death. Police believe that the shooting happened during a dice game, but takeoff was an innocent bystander. Patrick Javier Clark is charged in takeoff's murder. He is maintaining his innocence. Now, very interesting take from takeoff's mother and uh, his family representatives. They allege that the defendants, uh, the owners of Houston's uh, 810 Billards and Bowling, that they failed to provide proper security on the evening that Takeoff was shot and killed. They noted that well-known music personalities uh, rented out the property, and after, and after hours events featured popular athletes, artists, and public figures. And so it wasn't unusual for high-profile individuals to frequent uh, this uh, venue. Despite these facts, they continue that the defendants provided no screening mechanism no after-hours control or security measures, and no enforcement of rules or industry standards to, de to deter crime against their invitees, including takeoff. And so uh, this is uh, what the mother and the, the family's uh, legal team um, have uh, cited uh, in their lawsuit. Uh, there's always two sides to the story, but this is a reminder that sometimes we, when we all get a little bit annoyed when we're going into the club or going into a venue and, oh, we gotta go through security and they gotta look through my bag and they gotta do all this. You know, well, part of the reason why they do those things, you know, is to prevent, you know, some of the bad guys, you know, from bringing, you know, guns or uh, other sort of, you know, violent materials, um, you know, or uh, harmful materials uh, into the space. And so hopefully hearing this, as we head into the summer, where a lot of us are going to be going to concerts and going to the club and all sorts of venues, hopefully we can have a little bit more patience as we go through security. And maybe we might even want to go through and say thank you to security for doing their job, um, because sometimes I think we take for granted all that goes into keeping us safe. Well, Neil Long says that her 11-year-old son's school allowed the N-word to go uncensored during a recital? Yeah. In a tweet, Neil Long said that she won't tolerate perpetual gaslighting. She also wrote, what is the world coming to? I attended my son's school for a dance recital. 
and a song was played featuring the N-word. Somebody has some explaining to do. I will not sit in silence. Now, Long shares her 11-year-old son, Kez Sunday Udoko, with her ex-fiance, Ime Udoko. Listen, I hear you, uh, Sister Nia. Uh, you know, I, if I were a parent, you know, I would, you know, also be a little bit alarmed that, you know, of the music selection at a recital. Um, and, you know, one of the things that they pointed out is that they didn't even use the, the, um, uh, the unedited, or I'm sorry, the edited version, uh, you know, the version for radio, you know, you could have used the same song, you know, no, no, no use in, in using a song and lyrics, you know, that are going to upset people. You know, this is, this is a school dance recital. This is an 11 year old. Um, come on folks, you know, we need, you know, our teachers and musical directors to, to do a little bit better. Um, but you know, kudos to, uh, Nia Long, you know, for uh, exercising her voice as a parent. You know, she's sitting there at the recital and she decided she ain't going to suffer in silence. And, you know, folks are going to feel the heat. And so they are feeling the heat and uh, we'll see what becomes of it. But uh, Nia Long is known to be fiercely protective of her kids. And uh, this is an example of uh, what not to play when you are in the presence of Mama Bear. Well, moving along, rapper Nicki Minaj was reportedly swatted after someone called police. Yeah, falsely claiming her two-year-old son was being abused. Law enforcement descended upon Nicki's L.A. area home last week in response to the call after speaking with her and her husband and examining their child. Officers determined that there were no signs of abuse. Now, hours later, another person called 911 alleging her home was on fire. This was also found to be untrue. This is um, not cool, soulmates. It's not cool. And there's nothing funny about this. And so cut it out. Cut it out. You know, um, child abuse uh, is something that we uh, shouldn't have to live with in, in our country and around the world, but it exists. Uh, and that call that was placed to 911 alleging that her kid was being abused took away attention from a real call that was uh, possibly placed to 911 uh, for a kid that really was suffering uh, from abuse, that was really in danger. Um, lots of other folks that, who may have been uh, in danger. And so, you know, let's not play games with 911. Let's not play games with, with uh, with accusations of child abuse. You know, let me just say that this whole swatting phenomenon, um, which I just learned about for the first time this morning during our editorial meeting, uh, you know, it's terrible. And, and this is the kind of fake news, you know, that, you know, makes life more difficult for a lot of people. Uh, and so let's stop with the swatting uh, and uh, let's uh, do our best uh, to to not perpetuate lies. And so whether we're talking about swatting or whether we're talking about some of the conspiracy theories that people have been peddling, we were just talking about uh, the Jamie Foxx story. Um, you know, all of that stuff is not just a distraction, but it actually creates harm. It makes people unsafe. Uh, and so soulmates out there, if you know somebody that's doing that, tell them to stop it. Cut it out. Up next, it's our favorite segment, Black Excellence. That's right, today's spotlight is on 
one high school senior who is putting his community above everything else when it comes to deciding on a college. We'll be right back. You're watching Fox Souls Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Souls Black Report. Well, Texas Julian Alfred, Florida's Jasmine Moore. There are two black track stars who set records and this past track and field championship. With plenty of momentum and no surprise, senior standout Julian Alfred showed out, y'all. She took gold in the four by one, the 100 and the 200. Julian Alfred ran the fastest all conditions mark in collegiate history, while Jasmine Moore set the collegiate record to win the triple jump with a leap of 48 feet and six inches. Now, look, soulmates, you may not know this. This is this is this is new information probably for some, but I actually used to run track and field in high school wasn't as good as they are, you know, but, you know, I, I did all right. You know, I ran uh, 300 meter hurdles and 110 meter hurdles and uh, it's no joke. That's that's hard work. When that little gun fires off, it's just you uh, and the track and field. Uh, and uh, when you are doing a four by anything, when you hit those curves and that lactic acid is building up in your legs, you know, uh, that is, that is, that's tough stuff. And so to see that they're not just doing well, but they're beating records, you know, from one uh, not so amazing track star to two really amazing track stars, congratulations. And there's one high school senior who's making headlines after graduates, uh, after graduates with a 4.1 GPA uh, and chooses an HBCU over Princeton and Duke, Joshua Jones a high school student athlete from Fayetteville, North Carolina, has been awarded over $3 million in scholarships while maintaining a 4.1 GPA and playing as a quarterback in the school's football team. He's been offered an academic and athletic full-ride scholarship to prestigious institutions like Duke and Princeton, Dartmouth, North Carolina A&T, the Navy, uh, as well as the uh, Air Force and Army Academies. However, Jones decided to attend North Carolina Central University. He decided to attend North Carolina Central University and HBCU and join its football team. Congratulations to him for you know, opting to go to an HBCU. You know, I mean, you, you will always have an opportunity to go elsewhere for graduate school. Um, but this is a part of not just a recent trend, but a historic trend. There are a lot of uh, black talent there's a lot of folks demonstrating black excellence, you know, that have chosen uh, to go to HBCU undergrad um, or go to HBCUs for law school or, you know, for uh, medical school. You know, I'm reminded that uh, uh, in the, uh, the Joe Biden uh, commencement speech at Howard University, I'm reminded of how many black folks, uh, black lawyers, black doctors, black engineers come out of HBCUs. And so, you know, don't play our HBCUs small. In fact, invest more in our HBCUs. C consider these stories a call to action for all the alumni of HBCUs to give just a little bit more of your time, your talent, and your treasure. And lastly, Karen Foltz Robinson was training for a marathon when fashion inspiration took over. She was 
tired of pulling up her sleeves to check her watch and the rest is history. And that's what I hear most often is, one, I wish I thought of it. <laughs> and two, it feels amazing and I can't believe the hug that it gives me. Observer Mayan is a luxury athletic wear company. We focus on wellness, innovation, and sustainability. Back in uh, 2013, moved to Florida and started running marathons. It was kind of tricked into it. I went out, met some people trying to get into the networking space in Tampa, and they said, hey, come join us for a run. One of my, I think, second or third marathon trainings, I discovered that Checking for my metrics was more disruptive to my training than anything, which is trying to figure out where I was, how far I was, or even what my heart rate was without tugging at my sleeve. And I said, I'm just gonna make this happen, and I did. <laughs> so developed a design so I could see my fitness tracker through the sleeve of my shirt came from the need to improve upon my skill and recognizing that no one else in the industry had done that for athletic wear and realized, hey, let me check, take a stab at it. As an athlete, I want conveniences, I want pockets, I want moisture absorption. So all of the things that I thought about were necessary for me to do what I was doing, I wanted to incorporate into the designs that I was putting out into the public. Manufacturing in Florida in, or the United States was very important to me. As everyone knows, sustainability is critical. When you cut designs, you're going to ultimately or inevitably have parts of the fabric that falls onto the floor. And what we do is we capture that fabric back into our circular sustainability model, which is we create patchwork yardage. We can then cut new designs, whether it's jackets or tops for men and for women, as well as sports bras. And we offer them, it's more like a recycled patchwork piece and it's a one of a kind design. I am an attorney, and I've been an attorney for over 25 years, and happy to say that, practice law in, around the United States. They tell you you cannot worship two gods in order to be successful, so <laughs> I decided that Observa Me, which means watch me, by the way, it's Spanish for watch me, that I wanted people to watch me make that new dream come to fruition, but also, of course, to play on the words so you can see your watch through the sleeve of your shirt. We have achieved so many milestones, one being Time Magazine recognizing us as one of the best inventions of 2022. That was a huge milestone for us because we've worked so hard. Although small, very mighty company and very powerful punch that we're packing in order to proceed in the successes that we have in mind. That is awesome. I love that. Uh, we've got to make, make sure we support this Black-owned business. It's Observa May. And so, you know, I'm going to be uh, logging on to purchase my uh, recycled, one-of-a-kind patchwork piece. And I think you should, too. Uh, really marvelous job to that sister and that company. Another example that dreams come true uh, and that it's also the simple things. It's the simple things. She didn't reinvent the wheel. Really simple things. And so uh, let's be sure to support Observa Bay. And for the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand or any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other Black-centered content. And don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It's absolutely free. 
I want to thank all of you for joining us today on behalf of the entire team here at Fox Souls Black Report, because you know, it takes a village to produce a black report. We want to say thank you and stay lifted. I'm Nicordelia Corte. See you tomorrow.